Before we get started today, I wanted to ask if you could help me out by telling me a little bit more about the people who listen to this podcast. I've got a survey now live for podcast listeners and donors to the Tally Room. Tell me what you find interesting, what you want more of, and what motivates you to tune in. You can find the survey link in the podcast description. Thanks. Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowie. In today's episode, we'll be previewing the by-elections coming up soon around Australia. My guest today is Tasmanian cephalologist Kevin Bonham. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Ben. So three by-elections are coming up soon around Australia, with two of them due by the end of July. There'll be a by-election for the federal seat of Fadden due on the 15th of July, which should be the day after this podcast comes out, the Western Australian state seat of Rockingham at the end of July, and the Victorian state seat of Warrandyte will follow on August 26th. They come after Labor picked up the Liberal seat of Aston at a federal by-election earlier this year. So let's start with the Fadden by-election. Stuart Robert held the Queensland seat of Fadden by a 10.6% margin at the last federal election and resigned his seat earlier this year. Kevin, could this seat be in play? I would very much expect not. This is a lot harder than Aston, both in terms of the margin and in terms of the fact that the uh, state... Conservative Party, the LNP, are not in anything like the mess that the Victorian Liberals are in. The Queensland LNP are, in fact, going rather well. So I would not expect the seat to go close to falling. Uh, the interesting thing with Fadden will be the margin between the parties, the fight for bragging rights over any swing that might occur. And there'll also be some things I'll be looking at in terms of the votes for various minor parties that might be a useful indication. Yeah, it's a big field. I think for me, what I find most interesting is what happens with Labor in Queensland more generally, because at the last federal election, Labor won power. They did a pretty well on the two-party preferred vote, um, less well on the primary vote, but Queensland just didn't hold up at all. Indeed, someone I follow on Twitter did some interesting work recently comparing, using my data, looking at the 2007 election compared to the 2022 election, where the Labor 2PP was similar. But the pattern was very different. And what you really notice is Queensland, like Labor did very well in Queensland in 2007 when they won power. They didn't do anywhere near as well at the last election. And there's a bit of polling saying, you know, maybe Labor's doing a bit better in Queensland. Um, I've just been working on seat guides for federal seats in Queensland. There's a lot of LNP marginals in Queensland. Um, And, you know, if they can pick up ground, even if they can't win Fadden, which is not one of those marginals, uh, that might... Tell us something. It might be an interesting factor. You know, by-elections aren't, they're not the most precise methods of assessing popular support, but it would still be interesting. And I think if Labor can get a decent swing towards them, that would give them a bit of a sense of momentum. I think there's bragging rights for either major party that gets a substantial swing here, like more than more than two points, say. Um, the usual swing in uh, by-elections is muted when it's an, an opposition seat that's being uh, vacated. So the average swing in opposition seats is about 1% to the opposition. And in this case, Stuart Robert didn't have a personal vote to speak of, from what I can tell, looking at Senate comparisons. The voters had uh, figured out that he wasn't the world's greatest MP. So there's probably not such a factor in terms of uh, losing a big personal vote that there sometimes is. 
On the other hand, there's the federal government's generally good polling to set against that and the fact that you'd expect there to be not so much of a backlash against the government on account of that. So it all comes out, in my judgment, to um, about zero plus or minus a few being the most likely result range. Was there anything else you want to talk about with Fadden? Just that I'll also be keeping an eye on the Labor Party primary in what is a large field of candidates uh, to see how much of it might peel off to other candidates that's not apparent in the two-party preferred. It had some, some interesting seats where Labor does very poorly and other candidates catch them, but I think that the independent field in this one is not that strong as in the federal election where there was much better independence running than, than the ones that are running in this seat. Well, let me talk a little bit about where the seat of Fadden is. It's sort of the northern end of the Gold Coast is a problem best way to describe it. It covers suburbs like uh, Labrador, bigger waters, sort of just up near the Logan River, but it's really ultimately it's part of the Gold Coast area, uh, which is an interesting area because... Um, you know, at a state level, both parties have a lot of marginal seats in the Gold Coast and then some very, very safe seats as well for the coalition. It's a relatively well-off area, but it hasn't really shown much evidence of the kind of teal wave that you see in like, you know, well-off parts of Sydney and Melbourne and, you know, inner city Brisbane. Seeing how the coalition performs and stays solid in that area could be interesting, but I think ultimately we both expect, you know, we've been a bit spoiled by the Aston and Eden Monero by-elections, and I don't think we're going to see that this time with such a close race as we did then. But, you know, if Labor comes close to winning, I think that would be a bit of a political earthquake for Peter Dutton and make things really difficult for him. Um, but I think probably we think that's unlikely to happen. Something like a 5% swing to Labor, if that happened, that would be a, a really terrible result for the coalition. Something else that's of interest there is that there has been a bit of fighting between the federal coalition and the LNP in Queensland starting to emerge. We had a uh, shot fired over the state LNP's position on treaty, which was thought to be undermining the federal coalition's opposition to the voice. And then the state LNP has fired back today by having a shot at Peter Dutton's uh, views about nuclear energy. So there's a bit of rumblings going on despite the strong position of the state party. And of course, we've got a Queensland state election coming up next year, probably before the federal election where Labor's been in power for, it'll be nine years by the time of the election and Labor looks likely to be in some trouble. Uh, the polls are showing the LNP in front. Labor's certainly not out of it by any means, but it looks like it's going to be a competitive election, frankly, more competitive than the federal polls have been recently. Yes, the Queensland LNP is far and away Australia's best performing state opposition at the moment in polling. That's a, a total difference to what happened with Aston, where you had a, a state opposition that was a complete drag. All right, so let's move on now to the seat of Rockingham, which is a Western Australian state seat, uh, kind of on the southern outskirts of Perth. It was held by Mark McGowan, who'd been Premier of Western Australia until his recent retirement. He won 87.7% of the vote after preferences in 2021. I believe it's the safest seat in Western Australia for Labor. I don't think we really have any doubt that the seat's going to flip, but it's still a little bit interesting because the Liberal Party was just wiped out in Western Australia at the state election. They only ended up with two seats in the lower house. And so for them, I think... They are contesting this seat. 
you would normally not expect such a safe seat to be contested by the other major party. But I think for them, they just need any good news. You know, they need a little bit of a swing towards them to show that they're coming back and they're not on track for another such a massive disaster as they did in 2021. It's... Should be all upside for the Liberal Party in terms of ruddy bookers. Uh, even if they get thrashed, which is quite likely, they should still get a sizable swing back to them, and they can drum up this swing and say, "Oh, we're we're on the way back. We're we're recovering." But but a lot of it is going to be uh, Mark McGowan's enormous personal vote and the fact that the last election was a freak event. So even if you get a swing back of 20% or something like that, it still doesn't mean that the Liberal Party is all that competitive yet. It'll be hard to untangle the effects of it just not being 2021, the loss of Mark McGowan's personal vote as the local member, but also the loss, which, you know, who cares about that really? Like that's that's going to go away, Labor will do fine. But on the other hand, how much does it matter that he's no longer the Premier in terms of being the leader of the party at a state level? That's probably the more interesting question is does Labor's position in the state, both in federal and state politics, come back to worth now that he's not around or does that linger? Is Roger Cook able to surf that wave for a bit longer? And, I mean, it's just hard to know because, like, the voters in this by-election are going to know that their vote's not going to change the result. Um, they will feel free to cast a protest vote. It would be much more interesting if we had a by-election in maybe not the most marginal seat, but the kind of seat the Liberal Party would have won in better times to get a better assessment of their success. Although, again, by-elections are not, they're not as good as polls in some ways, you know, like they are not representative. People are casting a vote for a specific purpose. They know they'll get another chance to vote at the next election. And unless you're in a super hung parliament situation, they know it's not going to change government. And um, there's always local issues to by-elections. And by-elections have a lot of plus or minus in, from the average swing that's caused by all those special issues and the popularity of the outgoing member and so on. Something I do with these sorts of seats where there's been a lot of swinging at state level is uh, I look at how a seat is running relative to the state average. This is sort of taking a leaf from the US electoral analysis where they often talk about seats as being R plus four or D plus two or something like that. So I look at the difference between the parties, two-party preferred and the state two-party preferred at that election. Rockingham was running at about Labor plus 10 plus 12 compared to the state election until uh, McGowan became leader. And then since McGowan became leader, it's shot up to about plus 18. So that gives some kind of handle on what's lost just from not having him as as MP. You're losing something like uh, 7% straight away. You're also losing whatever the party has dropped off since the election. But there was one recent poll, just a nothing research robo-poll, so maybe not the most reliable, but some indication that the government is still polling quite strongly. They were running at about 60-40, two-party preferred equivalent. So on that basis, I wouldn't expect the swing to make the seat anywhere close to close to close. <laughs> would we um, sort of I think if Labor finishes under 65, two-party preferred, I'm a bit surprised by that. Yeah, but still a bit of a preview for Western Australia, which will be coming up. The state election will be coming up in March 2025. So um, we're actually waiting probably in the next couple of weeks for the draft boundaries of the redistribution for Western Australia to come out. We can start 
It's getting a bit more of a picture of what that election might start to look like. Finally, Warrandyte, which is a Liberal seat in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, a state electorate. Ryan Smith won it by 4.2% in 2022. He's held the seat since 2006. It's one of those areas, I mean, we don't know who's running for this seat yet. The Labor Party is umming and ahhing. There's talk that they might not run, although there's people in the party that want them to run. Generally, the Liberal Party has not been doing well in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Places that used to be safe Liberal seats are becoming more marginal. Places that used to be super marginal are becoming pretty solid for Labor. We're seeing this at federal level, state level. You know, we saw it in the Aston by-election. It would be really interesting to see another test of the major parties up against each other in Warrandyte. I don't know if we're going to get that. Normally you say that there's not much risk of an opposition seat on this sort of margin falling in a by-election, but the problem is that the Victorian Liberals are just going so badly at the moment that there is a case that if Labor were to run for the by-election and make a decent job of running, that they would actually win it. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea for Labor to run. They don't need the seat. They've already got a very healthy, indeed, I'd say inflated majority. At the last election, there was a swing against them and they still gained ground. So there's a question of do they want to put a big effort into winning this seat when they could save the same resources for the next election? Something else there is that uh, Ryan Smith, from what I can see, was a well-performed local member. Uh, I've been looking at uh, comparisons between the the lower house and the upper house as a a guide to that. And uh, he, together with a few of the other liberal incumbents in the area, was running uh, well above the state average in in that regard. So there is a personal vote lost there, which is a difference to Fadden. But even though Labor could perhaps win the seat. I mean, they win the seat. Pasuto gets rolled presumably immediately. Is that what they actually want strategically? I'm not sure that they do. They might be better off just leaving him there so that the mess can continue. So I think that Labor's got some tricky strategic decisions and it's not just as simple as can we win this? It's also uh, even if we can win this, do we want to? And Also, any by-election, there's a bit of risk. If you run and you're hyped as a likely winner and then you don't pick up the swing and there's actually a swing against you, that that might be a bit damaging to the kind of momentum that they have. The Liberal Party's position with John Pesuto at the moment doesn't seem super clear. I mean, if he did badly in it, it probably would be the back of him, but we're going to have to wait and see how he goes with that. We're in a bit of a quiet period in elections right at the moment. Um, We've got no more big major state, federal, territory elections for this year. We have the referendum coming up probably in October. What are you spending your time doing now, Kevin, while things are quiet? I think at the moment the voice referendum is actually my major focus at the moment because it's been one of the most richly polled things that I've ever seen in in Australia. The volume of polling is just amazing. And the story that the polling tells for The Voice is an interesting one already, and there were also a lot of uh, bad polls being conducted on The Voice, so I'm continually spending my time explaining why such and such a poll should be completely ignored because of defects in its question wording or methods or answer options or things like that. So, so yes, The, the Voice is uh, my, my major focus at the moment, I think, in terms of analysis. Mm. How do you think it's going? 
the trend is that, that the voice, the yes vote has just been dropping off in polling and, and the uh, the decline in, in the yes vote has been accelerating. Uh, so probably yes has now dropped us below 50 on a two-answer preferred basis. We don't know for sure that that's accurate. It might, might be that, you know, sort of when the... You, you might find out that the polls are collectively wrong and yes is doing better, although the, the history of referendum polling would suggest that it's more likely the other way around. No tends to be underestimated even in final referendum polls. So there's a lot of recovering that yes has to do and there's a lot of challenges in terms of the history of these things Everything in terms of the history of those things says that uh, yes is on track to defeat. That seems like the most likely thing right now. I guess we don't really know that the yes campaign has a lot more resources and they're really only just kicking into gear now. We don't know if that'll have an impact on that polling. Um, and it's still got some time to go. One of the things I've found interesting with that is that, you know, there's a lot of focus on the state polls and I understand why the peculiar way the referendum works that you need to win a certain number of states and, quite frankly, referendums are defeated in the states not at the national level generally I, I don't know if we we don't have any examples of a referendum that won four states but lost and i'm not even sure we have one where it won three and uh, lost because it lost the majority but it looks to me like the differences between the states are not enormous is that kind of what your takeaway has been like it's quite possible that it might really just come down to the national vote, that if there's a national vote in favour, the states will largely fall into line. We've had a few polls lately that have had no winning in four states, but when I aggregate the, the state samples, I'm not finding that the state breakdown is such a problem. I'm finding that Queensland runs way behind the national average for yes. Well, everyone expected this Queensland's basically a write-off at, at the way it's going. Western Australia runs behind, and the others seem to, on balance, be running slightly ahead, but there's a lot of uncertainty with Tasmania and South Australia. So it, it is possible at the moment that the state breakdown isn't such a problem. That said, the no campaign seems pretty wise to the fact that you can uh, win by knocking the thing over in three states. And they seem to be focusing their resources accordingly. Well, it's funny, like Queensland, you could write it off, but it's quite a large state. You know, if Tasmania was the state that had the lowest yes vote, you could really write that off. But Queensland's vote really could matter for the national margin. If they can get the no vote winning by less in Queensland, that, that could make a big difference nationally. That's going to be really interesting to watch. I've got plans for about four podcasts on the referendum, some kind of bit of history of referendums and Indigenous representative institutions, but we're also going to cover it in the final weeks and do the results as well. So definitely one to watch there. And I mean, my I'm personally, I've been doing a lot of um, getting a lot of election guides ready for elections that are coming up. <laughs> I haven't published it yet, but my Tassie election guide is ready to go just in case um, the Tasmanian government falls, Kevin. So I know you've been following that closely. Yes, we have a rather turbulent situation in Tasmania with our two uh, defecting independents, and there was quite a bit of election speculation in the last week that the government has come out and tried to hose down. They've, they've been saying that they will go back to Parliament in August and that they will try to pass electoral reform legislation through the Legislative Council, which is going to be a, a complex process. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But yes, Tasmania is in a holding pattern with the risk of an early election at some time. 
I mean, the other thing to mention as well is you and I were both witnesses at the Joint Standing Committee on Electoral Matters a few weeks ago. And I don't know if the Hansard is up for that yet, but it was quite an interesting discussion about mostly it sounded like the committee was interested in talking about expanding the size of parliament, both about expanding the state senators, which has an effect on the size of the House of Representatives, but also potentially on adding extra senators to the territories, which is a separate matter legally. And that was an interesting conversation to have. It kind of sounds like they want to do it, but they think they might need to wait until the next term to build up the case for it. Yeah, so I don't think that the federal government intends to uh, expand the House in this term, but they are seriously looking all going well, whether some kind of probably modest expansion could be affected during the next term. The session that we were at was not sort of by no means a full range of, of opinion, but nobody at that session was disagreeing with the idea that the House at least should be expanded. I think there's some disagreements between you and I about territory senators, so people can go and read that if you want. And we've both expressed our views on that, but certainly on expanding the size of the Senate overall and the House overall. It seemed generally quite a consensus. I didn't feel like we were getting pushback from coalition MPs. The nationals on the committee seemed quite interested in having smaller electorates, which I can understand. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting one to watch. I think probably if they want to do it next term, they want to do it like right out of the gates, right after the election. So it kind of preempts the typical redistribution process for that term. And that's the final thing that's going on at the moment is the redistribution. So I think this month we're going to get the conclusion of the process of determining how many seats each state gets at the next federal election. But we know what's going to happen because we've got the latest ABS data now, the population data for states. The two biggest states are each going to lose a seat and Western Australia is going to gain a seat. So we're going to go back to 150 and... That's going to be published by the end of this month, but it's probably going to take about a year before that redistribution process will conclude. But I'll be doing an episode about the redistributions coming up soon. But I think probably in the next couple of weeks, we're also going to see the state redistribution for Western Australia come out with its draft boundary. So that's worth watching that as well. I should also put in a promotion that following the recent uh, upheavals in social media, people can now uh, follow my output not only on Twitter, but also on Threads, Blue Sky and Mastodon. I'm not <laughs> sure how long I can survive promoting my work on uh, four sites at once, but I'm giving it a go for the time being. I'm on Mastodon and actually I changed the script at the end of this podcast a few months ago to take out my Twitter plug and put in my Mastodon plug. Not that I've left Twitter by any means, but I didn't really feel like promoting it on my podcast I have not got a Blue Sky invite, so if anyone has one out there, I'd be interested in seeing that. Threads I haven't done yet because I have an Instagram account. My Instagram is a very different vibe. It's personal stuff. It's just my friends on there. It's not. It's a locked account, and I don't really know about connecting the two. I'll have to make sure that I'm following you on Mastodon, Kevin. People should check out Kevin and myself on all of the different microblogging platforms as the microblogging civil war kind of fractures the market. So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room Podcast. Thank you, Kevin, for joining me. Thank you. You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow the Tally Room on Mastodon at tallyroom at mastodon.au or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash tallyroom. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to tallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Christopher Bro for writing the music you hear in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening.